The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nazi V-2 was a rocket-powered bomb traveling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V-2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V-2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today's Wednesday, September 8th. We know that people have seen things. What they have seen, we just don't know what they are. That was Greg Agigian, Penn State University history professor and featured guest on Showtime's docuseries UFO. Are UFOs real? And what does the government know? Greg and series director Mark Monroe get into it with me a little bit later on. But first, your morning headlines. We began in Afghanistan, where the Taliban's acting government filled 33 top-level positions. The list included the appointment of Mohammed Hassan Akund, a close aide of now-deceased Taliban head Mullah Omar. And as interior minister, a member of the Haqqani family, currently on the U.S. terrorism list. Meanwhile, in Kabul, hundreds of women gathered to demand that their rights be respected. While the protest was peaceful at first, their numbers soon grew with hundreds of men joining in. According to witnesses who spoke to The New York Times, the Taliban then used force to end the demonstration, beating the protesters with rifle butts and sticks. This was a second protest with women in less than a week. It was also the second to end violently. The White House Budget Office sent an urgent spending request to Congress asking for billions for natural disasters, resettlement funding, and to avoid a government shutdown due to the debt ceiling. The request is for $14 billion to help with damages from Hurricane Ida, but they anticipate another $10 billion will have to be approved. The administration is also asking for $6.4 billion to pay for the ongoing relocation of 65,000 Afghans who are expected to arrive in the U.S. by the end of September. Even more on the way over next year. The debt ceiling is expected to come into play by October 1st. And finally, we end with COVID. Frustration over the lack of clarity with booster availability and timing is building. Republican Governor Larry Hogan of Maryland complained about the lack of guidance, while Republican Governor Jim Justice of West Virginia aired his general frustrations. We've got people that are well beyond six months, that are 60 and older, that need the booster shot. 
and we can't give it to them because we're being held up by, you know, the nation and, and on the federal level right now. Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Anthony Fauci, responded on CNN's New Day, saying that they are aiming for the week of September 20th to start boosters, that the holdup has been for approvals. Dr. Fauci also talked about how the future of COVID is still primarily dependent on how many people get vaccinated. And now to our Daily Deep Dive. In 2017, reports surfaced that the Defense Department had a $22 million budget for investigating UFOs. It was actually buried in their annual budget, making headlines across the country. The formal release of the Pentagon's UFO report earlier this year only deepened America's fascination. Are UFOs real? And what's the government thinking? A new docuseries on Showtime called UFO delves into these questions and more. Today, we're joined by series director Mark Monroe and one of the show's featured guests, Penn State University history professor Greg Agigian. Mark and Greg, thank you so much for joining us. Mark, I want to start with this Pentagon program. It was formerly called Advanced Aerospace Threat Program. The news that the program existed only came out in 2017. But when did the Defense Department actually start the program and why did they go to such lengths to keep it so secret? Well, um, that's partly what we've been trying to kind of uncover with the series in many ways. And I think it started in 2007, or at least that was the initial kind of maneuverings that created the program. What we know about it is that the government decided that they needed to investigate these strange sightings of UFOs or UAPs, as um, the government calls them now, that are hard to explain. And to do that, they enlisted the help of scientists and experts in the field, uh, people who could study video taken off of military aircraft to try to figure out what these things are. Beyond that, we're not sure what, what the extent of the program was or the reasoning behind it. Greg, I want to ask you about that, particularly with the lens of your history professor hat here. The Pentagon's UFO report was formally released in June. What was in it and did anything surprise you? So the report is, is, if anything, it really is just a summary. What is it? I think about nine pages all told, and much of it's pretty repetitive. The report in part said that there's more coming down the road. So we can expect more revelations, more discussions. Some of the things are not surprising at all. A lot of it is saying, well, by and large, we're not quite sure what's going on. And the reason for that lies in the fact that we were using equipment and using instruments that weren't designed for that kind of work. So we are sort of left with more questions than answers. I think uh, there were a few things that were surprising. I think when you view it historically, one of the surprising um, things the report said was that they acknowledged that the vast majority of the sightings that they looked at involved real objects so that these were not figments of radar or due to faulty computers or anything like that, but that real objects were out there. That was a fairly remarkable admission. And I think the second really important thing that they noted that, that they've often, the military has historically not tended to acknowledge, was that they may well have a kind of problem in their culture of reporting, that there has been a tendency within the military for people to be ridiculed who reported seeing um, some strange phenomenon or object. 
and that that had to stop. And I think those two things really struck me as a little unusual uh, relative to what we've seen in the past. Mark, you hear Greg talking about how the military kind of try to suppress some of these reportings. What were you hoping to accomplish with the series? How did you go about finding these characters? And did anyone involved with the Pentagon program help you out as you were putting this together? When this bombshell news report hit, it kind of stepped up the conversation in that for years, it had been mired in um, ridicule from above and skepticism from, uh, I think, the mass majority of people. You hear the word UFO and you think, oh, you know, crackpots or... You know, some some uh, uh, ridicule or stigma is always attached. And I think that's had a silencing effect on a lot of people who may have experienced something that they can't explain. And so what that report did is it it elevated it to a credible position, uh, you know, uh, an institution of credibility. The New York Times took it on, put it on the front page. And once that happens, then conversation starts to flow at a higher level. Uh, and I think what we tried to, to do with the series was to take that credibility angle and look at everything that's happened uh, for the past, you know, 70 years to try to understand how we got here. Greg, you said that you became fascinated by the topic of UFOs from a very early age. How did you get to this point of trying to look at the historical context and learn more about UFOs through that lens? Yeah, I mean, it was a subject I was fascinated with when I was young. I returned to it in a way that was a little happenstance, talking to a colleague of mine who was working on a topic involving this sort of explosion of supernatural beliefs that I had not been aware of that occurred right after World War II. I spent one summer doing something I shouldn't have been doing because I should have been working on something else, but I started reading about this stuff and was going through old, old newspapers in Germany. And sure enough, there it was, all this stuff about flying saucers. And I started to think more about it. And so that's when I thought to myself, this is too interesting a subject to leave and put off to the side. And so I came back to it now, many, many, many years later. So Greg, explain to someone like me who kind of thinks UFOs are like, I don't understand it. Is this a real phenomenon or is this something made up in people's head? First of all, um, we know that people have seen things. What they have seen, we just don't know what they are. Um, We know, in fact, that people have had experiences of everything from seeing our odd lights, maybe some shining object in the sky, maybe something that's even clearer to them, right, in some shape or form. So there is a legitimate UFO sighting experience that takes place. Now, the descriptions that people make, I think, often are quite accurate. That does not, however, translate into whether or not they truly have seen something that is a UFO, an object. It doesn't translate into definitively saying, certainly doesn't say that these are something from outer space or even that they're some secret military weapon. It's just simply the fact that what we do is we have this sort of set of experiences that are out there. They then have been translated into a whole set of different kinds of theories and beliefs. So as a phenomenon and as a historian, the way we approach something like that is to, in fact, say that what we are looking at, this is a phenomenon in which nobody has any definitive answer to the question. So you are dealing with a phenomenon 
that is fairly mercurial. It's very ephemeral. It's something that's there and not there, but it is a social reality. The UFO is something we live with. The alien is something we live with as part of our culture. And so you can write a history, you can study this phenomenon, as I think Mark was doing, in terms of talking about people's experiences, interviewing people who are witnesses, exploring beliefs and how people come to the beliefs they have. What are those beliefs? What are the thoughts that people have about these things? All of those, I think, to me, make up this phenomenon. And so we have to, I think, understand it as an entire no pun intended, sort of constellation of various moving parts that all make up this this social cultural phenomenon that is the UFO. Mark Gregg mentioned aliens. I, I imagine doing a documentary on this topic must have been hard. I mean, there's a cult-like following, first off, in America on this topic. Uh, you've got conspiracy theorists, people who do believe in alien abductions. How do you maintain credibility when you're doing a documentary on a topic like this? It's it's about belief in something without necessarily 1,000% evidence, right? And that, that touches on, you know, uh, faith, and that touches on re- religiosity. The way we have a lot of people who are deeply devoted to their religions without necessarily having um, concrete evidence about what's going to happen in the afterlife. I, you know, you, you look at the UFO situation and you see a lot of that, actually. Events that take place that are seen as signs or seen as evidence to them uh, of something that exists based on the stories we tell each other from generation to generation, based on the the uh, types of stories that are out in our culture, the movies, the books, um, these things all, I think, play a role in, in, in belief and in, in what we choose to, to, to say we think the answer is because there is no answer, at least not yet. Greg, in 2004, there was an encounter with a Navy fighter jet off the Nimitz aircraft carrier that's near the coast of San Diego. And there was this baffling tic-tac-shaped white oval craft. What was this infamous tic-tac incident? We don't exactly know, <laughs> I think is the answer. Again, it's it's one of the things. This is going to be very uh, frustrating for you, Rena. <laughs> I know. I, I, want, I want one of you guys to tell me definitively yes or no. Are there UFOs? <laughs> Well, uh, here's 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 the thing. So, and and, and again, this will probably be even more unsatisfying. <laughs> but 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 what exactly are we trying to get at? Uh, something like that video. I think the thing that strikes me about it is that it way it was presented to us uh, and presented to the world was largely without context. Um, uh, and then oftentimes when we get context it leaves us with more questions than answers. So what we're constantly sort of grappling here with is um, ambiguity that is fueled by a lack of information, by a lack of sometimes credibility on the part of some people. And we've got people who seem to be very impassioned and very motivated to present one or two or three sets of different sort of arguments about what this can be. Um, it's, it, it's a breeding ground for speculation. We've got to pause. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with UFO docuseries director Mark Monroe and one of the show's featured guests, Greg Agigian, Penn State University history professor. You're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. 
What does optimism look like? I'm on a quest to find the people who inspire us to dream more and do more. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. I talk to all sorts of people, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to a hairdresser on Instagram who gives out free haircuts to the homeless, from the CEOs of the world's largest companies to the comedy writer who visited the wreckage of the Titanic. I love talking to leaders, artists, authors, and eccentrics about life, leadership, purpose, mental fitness, human skills, high performance, and other curious things. It leaves me feeling wiser, more inspired, and, well, more optimistic. Because after all, this is a bit of optimism. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look for it. Listen to a bit of optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Julian Edelman from Games With Names, and we're on a search to find the greatest games of all time. I'm talking Hall of Famers, MVPs, gold medalists. I absolutely hate the Colts, bro. This game, I swear, led to the deflate gate. Hey guys, this ball's a little flat. <laughs> Ever wonder what a locker room feels like at a halftime of a Super Bowl? Julian walking around, I'm pretty sure he had his shirt off for reasons I'm not sure. He was saying, gotta believe. Oh, you gotta believe. From 18-1 with Eli. Are you calling Bill just a cheater? Is that what you're I'm saying right saying now? He's, you... he's looking for an advantage. The 2004 ALCS with Big Poppy. The Red Sox in 2004 bounced back after the 3-0 in a winner chicken dinner. Homie. The immaculate reception with Terry Bradshaw. Fired the ball. I hear the roar of the crowd. I never thought he caught the ball, but he did. We're going to dive deep into the most iconic games with the most iconic people. New episodes dropping weekly. Listen to Games with Names on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation. And loss. They did not love themselves enough to know their HIV status to not pass it on to me. To dreams achieved. Or still yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. We started a hospital-based violence intervention program called the IV Project. And it stands for Interrupting Violence in Youth and Young Adults. To those who have been left behind. But no one talks about the survivors of the gun violence and the numbers rising because the gun violence has risen. Politically. Financially. Emotionally. Spiritually. This is where we are. This is Blackland. And one of the things that my father said to me before he passed away, it's like almost like a prophecy. He said that I would be helping men. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with UFO docuseries director Mark Monroe. And one of the show's featured guests, Greg Gigian, Penn State University history professor. I'm so curious, Mark, about the Washington angle. You sat down with former Democratic Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid. He surprised many when he actually earmarked $22 million that I mentioned at the top for the study of UFOs in 2007. What was that sit-down interview like with Reid? You know... When the bombshell news report came across, our job, I think, was to try to peel that like an onion and kind of actually start asking the people who were involved, well, what did you see or what exactly happened or who did you talk to? George Knapp told us the story of how this whole thing came about. And it sounded wild when it came from George Knapp that, 
person who wants to remain anonymous in the Defense Department had heard of Skinwalker Ranch and had gone to Harry Reid and said, can I fly there? And he went there and he, something happened to him and he came back and Harry Reid said, well, I'm going to get these, you know, Inoue and, and Stevens and ask them for money. And it sounded out outlandish. But then you talk to the senator and he's like, yep. That's what happened. And the next thing you know, we've got a secret program made with dark money. And I should say George Knapp is a longtime UFO reporter who has been following this very, very closely. Mark, do you think that Washington will be more transparent now about their investigation of UFOs and it's not something that they think crazy people are just talking about? Um, I think the better response to that is, do I think that more people in Washington will demand answers? And I think that's the case. Like, uh, you know, I think Washington and the government in general, you know, is a very slow moving, slow to change. And so do I think that they're going to just be more forthcoming? No, I don't personally. Uh, but I do think the, the a series like this and reports like the New York Times report and investigative journalists like George Knapp, the more they poke and the more they prod, the more they ask questions, the more you're going to get people in Washington who agree that we need some answers. Craig, what do you think the next decade will bring in terms of the public fascination, but more so about the study of UFOs? One element that we are seeing that to me is intriguing is we have had not just more focus on this subject by journalists and um, uh, by some politicians, but we've actually now had a number of prominent scientists, people who work in astronomy or work in SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, going on record saying, you know, it's time for civilian scientists to get involved in this. So I think we may now start to see a, a movement toward some people in, in um, academic science who are saying, let's turn our attention to this topic and go about this in a fashion that's serious science. So I think that's one of the things. I think when it comes to more the, the sort of popular culture element of all of this, um, the question is, are we going to start to now see what we've seen in the past when this happens? And that is people coming forward to say, I've actually been on one of these ships, or I have actually seen one of these things land. I've seen the people piloting these things. That I wonder about from a sort of popular cultural side of things. So before you guys go, I have to ask both of you, skeptic or true believer about <laughs> UFOs? Mark, you first. I, uh, I uh, you know, I ride the fence. Uh, there's something about the universe and the, the, the you know, the... Um, possibilities that prevents me from saying that we are the sole, you know, creatures out here. Uh, it just seems uh, fantastical to think that way. And I am too much of an optimist to think that way. On the other hand, I just wonder how in the world is it that we can, you know, have all this technology, have all these smart people on the, the planet, and we only get these fuzzy little pictures for like three seconds. And it just it just drives me nuts. And I, so that makes me a skeptic. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I, 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 I made the series to try to confront and challenge belief. And I am challenged on that front myself. Greg? I am skeptically open-minded agnostic. <laughs> Anybody who is, is uh, in, in a field like history where we, we see so many things and I sort of dig into the long story of UFOs, um, 
you have to be, you have to be really rigorously skeptical about how you approach these things because there is so much noise and so little opportunity to hear signal in all of that noise. Um, and the noise to me is fascinating. I'm fascinated by the popular cultural and the social noise of it all. So for me, I remain a very impassioned agnostic. The docuseries is called UFO. It's available on Showtime. Mark and Greg, thank you both very much. Thank you, Rena. Thanks very much. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. The largest remaining Confederate statue in the U.S. is coming down. After 130 years in Virginia's capital, the 12-ton monument of General Robert E. Lee will be removed and stored in a state facility until its fate is decided. Governor Ralph Northam had ordered the statue be removed last year, but faced legal challenges from a descendant of the family that gave the statue to Virginia. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, over 160 Confederate symbols were renamed or removed from public spaces in 2020. Fashionistas from across the globe will converge on New York with the start of New York Fashion Week. The event in person for the first time after 18 months will be a little different because of the pandemic. Attendees are required to show proof of vaccination to enter most places. Crowd size has been cut in half and one quarter of the shows will be digital only. Some of the events will also be held outside. You can stream most of the shows on the New York Fashion Week website. Today marks the 70th anniversary of the U.S. and Japan's peace treaty, bringing an end to World War II. Japan officially surrendered on August 15, 1945, after the U.S. dropped atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, killing over 200,000 people. We leave you with President Truman, who spoke at the signing ceremony. As we approach the peace table, let us be free of malice and hate to the end that from here on there shall be neither victors nor vanquished among us, but only equals in the partnership of peace. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you back tomorrow morning. This is The Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Mark Monroe and Greg Agigian for being on the show. And if you like this episode, I hope you'll subscribe to The Recount Daily Pod. And be sure to leave us a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Ninen. The world is full of magic and wonder, if you know where to look. And I'm obsessed with looking for it. I'm Simon Sinek, and I host a podcast called A Bit of Optimism. Each week, I have a short conversation with someone who inspires me or teaches me something about life, leadership, and other curious things. I hope you'll join me on the journey. Listen to A Bit of Optimism on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Information Network and six-time Emmy-nominated news anchor Vanessa Tyler welcome you to Blackland. A podcast about the ground on which the black community stands right now. From stories about salvation and loss. I loved a person who had an HIV diagnosis. To dreams achieved. Or yet unfulfilled. From people who have made it. I sat down with a therapist and I began my journey. To those left behind. Listen to Blackland on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Nazi V2 was a rocket-powered bomb travelling faster than the speed of sound. You couldn't hear it coming. A technological miracle, but a military and economic disaster for Nazi Germany. How did the V2 come into existence, and why were so many of the people it hurt not the people you might expect? Join me, Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, for my gripping mini-series on the V2 rocket, available now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.